Hey, good morning, Harvest. Hope you guys are doing well. Hey, why don't you go ahead right now and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus. We're going to be continuing on in Exodus again this morning, Exodus chapter 15 and 16. So if you haven't grabbed your Bibles, press pause, go run and grab them, come back, you're going to need them. Um, have your Bibles open right now, go to Exodus chapter 15. We'll be starting right at the very end of Exodus chapter 15, but before we jump in there, there, there's a verse I was reading in Philippians that really speaks to what we're going to talk about today through Exodus, and it's, it's one of these verses that's kind of a simple verse. It's a short verse, and it's, it's so short, so simple, that we might miss the weight of it, and he, here it is right here. It's in Philippians, Philippians 2.14, and it says this, do all things without grumbling. May, your version might say, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Do all things without grumbling. And we kind of skip past that. Like, oh, yeah, that's kind of nice. Do all things without grumbling. Then you start thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. All things? Do all things without grumbling. So, so, so wait a minute, all the time. So, so when I wake up and there's snow in May, do that day without grumbling. Or if, if somebody criticizes me at, at work or in my family, do that without grumbling. If, if my kids are losing their minds in this time of isolation and it's just been a hard go as a parent, I, I, I do that without grumbling. All right, students, kids, if you're on the couch or around the table right now with mom and dad, this one's for you. When, when moms and dads are losing their mind in this time of isolation, can you do life in your family without grumbling? When you think about school or work or relationships or health issues or financial issues or, or what's going on in our world today, can we do all things? All things. <laughs> what? All things. I mean, think about how, how common it is for us to grumble. I mean, we'll dress it up in nicer words. No, I'm just venting. I just like to, to speak my mind. I'm just being honest. I'm just getting something off my chest. Or, or here's a good one in Christian circles. Hey, can I just share a prayer request with you? And grumbling can become so easy that it becomes this constant hum of the fallen human heart. I think that's why Paul in Philippians, when he says, hey, hey, don't grumble, it's so common for us that, that he says, those, of, those who don't grumble, those who, who seek Christ and walk in joy all the time, he says this, you'll shine like stars in the universe. People will notice, you, you'll look so different. Now let me be clear as we, as we walk through this text this morning, when I say grumbling, what I don't mean when I say grumbling, I, I don't mean deep groaning and, and lamentation and disappointment, even disagreement. Because when you, when you read through Scripture, especially in the Psalms, there's so many examples of godly people who are saying, I'm scared, I'm hurt, I'm upset, I wish this looked different, Lord. God, could you do something in this situation? There are people in Scripture, just these godly examples of how to offer this, this groan or this lament or to express your hurt or disappointment. But grumbling, listen, grumbling's different. Grumbling is not this humble cry for help. It's, it's saying to God, I know how to do this better than you. It's, it's saying, God, God, I think what you're doing is wrong. Instead of coming to the Lord saying, this hurts, God, I'm, I'm, I'm ready today to receive what you have for me today. And, and although I can't see your hand in this, I can trust your heart. 
Grumbling says this stinks and I don't trust God in this and I certainly don't like his plans for me in this. Grumbling is this this discontent in our hearts that becomes audible. It's distrust. We're going to see this morning that grumbling in its deepest roots is an act of rebellion. And yet it's so common, isn't it? In fact, you'll see as we track through Exodus 15 and 16, it was common for the Israelites as well. So let me catch you up a bit before we jump into Exodus here. God's people, they have just seen God do the most unbelievable, miraculous acts to to pour out his love and care for them, to show him his power, to show him that, to show his people that he is a warrior God with steadfast love. Remember last week we talked about that, and I, and I love this idea of, of God being both. It's, it's important to remember that the, both of those attributes of God are so needed. And they're going to forget those. We forget those. That God, you are a, a God of steadfast love with grace and mercy and care. You're also a warrior God with, with holiness and righteousness and sovereignty and power. And both of those together can rest a grumbling soul. Both of them. Because love without power is nice, but in the middle of a wilderness experience, I don't need a hug and a back rub. I want to know that God can do something. But but a, a warrior God without steadfast love that's been set on you is, is scary. It's terrifying. Now they, they've seen God on display in the plagues sent to Egypt that, that he's rescuing them as he parts the Red Sea so they can cross through and give them total, complete, ultimate freedom. And there's no doubt that what, what God's people had experienced up to this point was nothing short of supernatural. They had every reason to believe that, that the God who set his love on them, the God who was powerful enough to deliver them, was a God to be trusted. Here they are, they're being led now into the wilderness. They're being led each day by the very presence of God in the form of a cloud at night in the form of this pillar of fire. And, and they, they see, God, you're with us. You've, you've rescued us. You've delivered us. But right away, they move from this place of victory and freedom to experience God leading them into a time of wilderness into a place where all your normal comforts have been removed. All those normal places that we run to for our, our, our identity, for our peace, to feel safe, to be in control, to feel powerful. All those things that normally insulate us from feeling helpless or weak, the wilderness is where God says, I want to pull those things away. And for many of you, this whole COVID season is a bit of a wilderness season. For some of you, there's a job loss, so there's, there's financial insecurity. For some of you, I've been, I've been talking to people, there's, there's relational strife. It's just, it's been more difficult in isolation and, and with your family all the time that, that, that some things that have been there for a long time are now being more revealed. For, for some, it's just the isolation piece. It's so hard and, and you're just wired to be with people and this is so difficult. For some, it's the, the fear of it all and all these normal things that we had around us have now been taken away and we find ourselves in a place of wilderness. And for you today, are you in a time of wilderness even now? It could be health struggles. It could be relationship struggles. It could be financial struggles. It could be emotional and mental struggles. Are you in a wilderness today? 
Listen, we live in a world that's, that's been marred by sin, a world that, that, including Christ himself, when he was on earth, all of us will experience brokenness and loss coming into our lives. We're going to experience wilderness. But, but here's the promise of a steadfast warrior God. It's this, a steadfast, a warrior God with steadfast love. It's this, that, that God is the one who will weave these wilderness experiences the difficulties in your life. He has his hand on them even. That this God will determine the size of them. That your, your God will determine the, the length of them, the character of them, the order of them. And if we, if we respond in those wilderness times, if we respond in faith, listen, God promises that he's going to make us into something glorious, into something beautiful. He's going to reveal himself in a way that you didn't know of him before in those times of wilderness. So, so what's it look like then to walk in the wilderness with God, to trust God in the wilderness? You see, God's going to show his people something so important here in this text. He's going to show them that while you were in Egypt, surrounded by everything you could ever want, in the the River Nile area there, it was just such a full, rich land to live in, and yet they had nothing, no freedom, no hope, no life. And what he's going to show them as he takes them into these years into the wilderness, a place that looks desolate, that they would be fully provided for. That in that place in the wilderness, they would be free and loved, that there was life. Listen, what, what, what God is revealing in this, a lesson for us today is this, the best life without God, the best life, everything works out great, the best circumstances, but God is not present in that is a place of wilderness and death. But a, a, a wilderness with the Lord, walking with the Lord in it is a place of life and goodness. So as we go into these places of wilderness, here's, here's the challenge for us. It's this, can, can you trust God? I mean, not just in the Red Sea moments, but can you trust God every single day? Or, or let me say this differently. Let's take the focus off of us and, and, and put it on to the Lord. Is God worthy of trust? Is he all-powerful and personal? Is he really a steadfast, loving warrior? I mean, this is the issue that, that Israel is going to face. And, and again, God's going to use their most basic human needs of food and water to teach them this important truth that we're going to learn this morning. God can be trusted every day. The God who delivers is the God who provides. The God who saves you is the God who sanctifies you. Sanctify means to, to be more and more like Christ. The, the saving of, of going from death to life is this instant moment where God chooses you. You respond, you're changed in a moment from being a, an orphan to being a son or a daughter, from death to life in the moment. But then you spend a lifetime as God provides for you in sanctification, growing you more like Jesus. God can be trusted every day. So Exodus 15, it introduces us to this, this repeated struggle for the Israelites. In fact, in, in chapter 15, we first hear this word grumble in the book of Exodus. In fact, in chapter 15 and 16, it appears more times there than the rest of the book of, of Exodus. It's used eight times, the word grumble, eight times in chapter 16 alone. Listen, when you're reading through Scripture, when a word is repeated over and over again, it should kind of light up a little bit like, hmm, there might be something important here. 
God might be saying something in this. So look at chapter 15, starting in verse 22. It says this, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went there, they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. So here they are. They're, they're three days into the wilderness. They're walking into the wilderness now, and, and they start to say, man, we don't have any water. They run out of water. They can't find anything. And what happens if you can't find water in the wilderness? Panic and fear set in, right? And in those moments of fear, when you don't think that God can be trusted, what happens? Some, some of us will grasp for control. Right? In, in that fear, in that, that place of, I don't know if God can be trusted, we go for control. Some will disengage. You just become apathetic about everything. Some start to question everything. Why is God doing this? What is God up to? I want to know the plan God has. Some people just quit. Some people run back to the sin that, that, that I, I want out of this wilderness. Man, I know where, there's, I know where there's, there's life. I'm going to go back to Egypt. I want to go back to that. Some people just fake it. Some people hide. Some people complain. Some people grumble. And here they are. They can't find any water. They come to this place where maybe this is good water. They, drink, they go to drink it. It's undrinkable water. So what do you think happens in that moment? Look at the next verse. They turn on Moses. And the people, here comes, grumbled. The people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? This, this, this discontent now becomes audible. The, the Hebrew word here for grumbled, it's, it's closely associated with the word against or rebel. They're speaking against Moses. It's this verbal rebellion. And, and we hit hardship, and, and our heart responds sinfully, and the, and the grumbling comes out. But here's the thing. It says they grumbled against Moses, but in reality, it wasn't actually against Moses that they were grumbling. It's, it's ultimately, our grumbling is directed towards the Lord. In fact, you, you see in chapter 16, we're going to get to it, but here's, here's verse 8 of chapter 16. They, they run out of food next, and what do they do? They start grumbling again, and it says, And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, in the morning bread to the full, he said, God's heard your grumbling, okay? He's heard you grumble with no food, God heard, and he, by his grace, he's going to provide for you. But he says, what? That you grumbled against him. He says, what are we? It's Moses and Aaron, he goes, who are we? Your grumbling's not against us, man. We're just leading you guys. We're following the same God you're following. We're, we're hearing from him and, and just following him. And you start to grumble against us. You're actually grumbling against the Lord, he says. The real problem in our hearts is, is against God. How quickly their faith disappears. How quickly our faith disappears. I mean, that's what grumbling is. You're, you're speaking against God. You're rebelling against God. But, but you're also saying, God, I don't think you can take care of this. God, I don't, I don't trust you in this. God solves the problem with the water of Marah. He cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he's talking about Moses, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Therefore, the Lord made them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying... If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commands and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. 
So God, God hears their grumbling. He gives them sweet water to drink. And they say, hey, listen, I, I want you to know something about your grumbling. I, I want a promise given to you right now. And the promise is, is not, hey, you'll never get sick. That's not the promise. What he's saying is, I'm, I'm not going to treat you like I treat, treated the Egyptians. You're my chosen ones. I have a steadfast love for you. I'm not against you. I'm for you. Listen, God is for you. In that time in the wilderness, the, the problem that, that Satan is going to try to convince us is, oh, man, God's against you. And God says, no, no, I'm not. I'm for you. You can trust me even when things are difficult and challenging. You can trust my steadfast love for you. In fact, it's great how this whole chapter ends in verse 27. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. They love that. God just pours out grace on grumblers. I mean, this is crazy grace. They're grumbling and shaking their fist at God. He doesn't say, well, here's a little cup of water for you. He takes them to an oasis. He says, here you go. Just crazy grace. Now, here's what happens. Oh, they miss this lesson that God said, I want you to trust me. Trust me every day. They miss this lesson. And I love that chapter 16 is recorded for us because this is so me. I don't know about you, but this is, this is so me that, that, that there are times when you can see God do the miraculous and the very next day you forget. They, they had just walked away from the Red Sea and they say, oh, man, God can part the Red Sea so we can walk through it. He has control over the raging waters. We're thirsty. God can't, God, God can't get us water. They walk away from the miracle here where God sweetens the waters of Mirah. They, they go to, he per, gives them the provision of Elam and right away they, they start out complaining again. In fact, look at chapter 16, verse 2. This is the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Oh, that's not the right one. There you go. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Okay, okay, maybe water's not too hard for God, but this food thing, there's no way God can do that. And God's about to teach them something so important. Listen, here's the thing. God could have just zapped them in the moment and, and, and had them in the promised land right away. He could have taken them out of Egypt, put them right in the promised land, but, but he's leading them into the wilderness. Again, again, God's in control here. They're not just wandering aimlessly in the wilderness. They're following God who's leading them there. They're, they're not just in there for no reason. And listen, because why? Remember what I said. God is the one who determines the size of our wilderness experiences. God's the one determining the character of them. God's the one determining the order of them, the timing of them. These tough times we're in, God's hand is on those wilderness experience, and there's something God's doing here to create something more deep, more beautiful than a time chilling around the palm trees of Elam ever could produce. God has this plan for them, and he wants them to learn some important lessons of, of what it means to really trust him. I'd say it this way, God delivered them out of the slavery of Egypt and now in the wilderness, he's saying, now I gotta take the slavery out of your hearts. You can see what this grumbling is really revealing. I mean, in, 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 in Numbers 33, it says as they start out, they're about a month now in. It says in Numbers 33, which tracks the wanderings in the wilderness. And then about a month in, they start, they start complaining again, right? And their hearts are fully revealed. Look, look at verse 3. And the people of Israel said to them, 
Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat at the, at the, by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. How, how crazy is their view of the past? So, so distorted. How exaggerated is their view of the present? Say, man, man, life was so much better in Egypt. We sat by the meat pots. We ate bread to the full. You were enslaved. And, and then, then in grumbling, what do we do? Exaggerate the presence, right? We're, God, you brought us out in the wilderness to kill us. It's, it's, it's not an indictment of Moses' leadership here. It's, it's an indictment of God's grace and God's care. A complaining spirit, a grumbling in us is an indication that something's not right with our relationship with God. And, and we can direct that grumbling. We, we can direct it at our spouse. We can direct it towards our kids. You can direct it towards your parents. You can direct it towards your siblings. You can direct it towards the church, towards other people. And you can grumble at them. What's really going on here, what, what Moses says, is he says, listen, you're not grumbling against us. Who are we? Your fight's with the Lord. You're saying to God, God, you're not taking care of me. God, you're not looking out for me. God, you're not listening to me. God, I don't believe that you're working out everything for your glory and my good. And then this grumbling, it, it expresses our, our distrust of God. Again, this is different than a groan and a lament. A, 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 a lament that says, God, I'm hurt and I need you. That's not what we're talking about. This is, this is somebody grumbling. It's rebelling against God. It's not saying this situation is hard. It's saying, God, you're too hard. Okay, that's the problem. Let, let, let's, let's, let's move towards the solution. Again, we say God can be trusted every day. The God who delivers is the God who provides. We can trust God. How, how can we trust God? Look at verse 11 and 12 of chapter 16. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, in the morning you shall be filled with bread, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Here's what's going on here. The, the problem is not the wilderness. The problem is not your relationship struggles. The problem is not the difficulty of, of this whole coronavirus season. The problem is not your financial trials. The, the problem is not your tough marriage. The problem is not your singleness. The problem is not your tough family. The problem really comes here that we don't know the Lord in our grumbling. And God's saying, as you grumble, I, I need to show you something. I need to show so you can know who I am. So you can lean into me again. You can learn who I am again. So what does God do? Look at verse 13. It says, In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. God steps in and says, I'm going to give you meat and I'm going to give you bread. 
Now, now that meat, I've, I read a ton about this, and, and it can be explained as a natural phenomenon that, that there are quail that will, that will um, migrate in large numbers, flock in large numbers. The, 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 the winds at that pl- in, in, in the wilderness there can push them down lower. You could actually just grab them out of the air. Now, it says that, that God's the one who sent the wind, so maybe is this God's common grace using natural forces to take care of his people? This is, this is why we have gratitude. I mean, the, the greatest way to fight grumbling is with gratitude. And it's why we have gratitude for, for God's common grace. God, thank you for my job. God, thank you for my health. I mean, those aren't miracles. You having a job is not a miracle. No matter how horrible you are at work, it's not a miracle you've got a job. It's God's common grace. But the manna. I mean, this is directly from the hand of God. This is what you would call a miracle. A miraculous way God's providing for his people. I love what it, what it says about it. It says that, that they were these flake-like things, fine as frost on the ground. I'm going, oh, frost, flakes. And Moses gets up, he looks and goes, they're great. Huh? Kellogg's, fro- anyway, frosted flakes. Let's move on. All right. But there's these amazing things, and, and they go, what, what are these things? And, and they ask, what is it? This is where the word manna comes from. It's actually the literal translation of, the, of what is it in Hebrew. It's this word that sounds like manna. It's this miracle. This miracle that can only come from God. Look at your, your Bibles at verse 16. You see this laid out. This is what the Lord has commanded. Now he says here, here's what happens. The man is all over the ground. He gives some commands. He says, gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. And you shall take an omer. This is a, 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 it's like saying take a liter. Take enough for the day is what it is. Take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the number of, and the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no, let no one leave any of it over until the morning. He says, you don't save this up, man. Trust that God's doing the same thing tomorrow. But I love this, man. Their faith is not there. Verse 20, but they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as they could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. Because God said to them earlier in chapter 16, hey, hey, don't worry about the Sabbath, just rest. I'll give you enough on the day before the Sabbath that you can collect that much, and that stuff won't rot. It'll be okay that you can rest on the Sabbath. But here's what's going on. I mean, this is a miracle. This is a true miracle. This manna only came when God said it would come. It came six days a week for 40 years in the wilderness. It didn't come on the Sabbath. It only came on those days. And, and the Sabbath stuff could be saved up and not rot, but every other time it would rot. You could not save it up. It was enough food, enough manna. This bread could feed millions every day. It never appeared before this time, never appeared after. I mean, this is a miracle. And again, it's a miracle displaying God's crazy grace. They grumble, he gives them grace. You're thirsty, I'll give you water. You're hungry, I'll give you quail, and I'll give you bread. In fact, the, the language here when it talks about he's, he's going to pour this out on his people, this bread will pour out on you, it's the same language that was used in the, in the 
plagues in Egypt that he poured out hail and poured out locusts. He's saying, listen, I'm pouring out on you something different because of my steadfast love for you. You're my children. I righteously poured down judgment on them, but I'm giving you grace. This lesson, though, was hard for the Israelites. Trust is not easy. These guys were farmers, right? They they come from an agrarian society, and so their thought was, if there's a ton of this stuff, I should save it up, because if your crops grow a lot, you save for the next day. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You better save those crops. You better better store up in your storehouses to make sure you have enough. And and God's like, no, no, I, I told you not to do that. I said, just pick enough for the day. I'm trying to teach you something. I'll provide for you. Trust me. I've said this quote before, trust is not something that's easy, though. Look, look at this quote. I'll find it. Maybe I won't. There it is. Sorry. Trust is not a passive state of mind. It is a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold on the promises of God and cling to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. This trust we have, it's not not a passive state of mind. It's something we grab a hold of where God says, listen, I'll give you manna every day. You, You go out that day, it melts up, you've got enough for the day, and trust is saying, God promised this. He promised tomorrow it will be there. Yeah, but we're in a wilderness, man. There's no no bread that grows out in the wilderness. Yeah, but he promised this. And even though the adversity of this time of wilderness, this relationship struggle, this financial struggle, this time of strife, that we go, no, God, I trust your promises. And God says, listen, listen, the bread will be there, but you've got to follow my plan for it. I love that. It's it's not passive. God, God didn't just go, boom, your stomach's full. There's the miracle. Awesome. No, he said, here's some manna. Go after it. He's growing their trust. So you have to go. You have to go pick it up. You have to eat it. You have to chew on it. Listen, listen, this manna we, we see in the New Testament that, that all through the Old Testament, God talks about his word being the bread as well, that, that we need to chew on that, that we need to, to take it daily, dig into it. You have to get where Jesus is. You have to get to know him. Listen, in the wilderness, you'll either become somebody who digs into Christ and into his word, and you become more wise, more humble, more gracious through it, more trusting, more faith-filled as you grab a hold of Jesus daily. Or the wilderness will turn you into bitterness and despair and apathy. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and eat daily. Every word that comes from the mouth of God, digest it, read it, study it, meditate on it, pray through it, lead your family in it. I love how Jesus explains this further in the Sermon on the Mount where where he talks about what this daily bread is. He says, trust the Lord for today. And he goes on, he says, when you pray, pray, God, give us this day, our daily bread. And then he goes on in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry, saying, man, what are we gonna eat now, those listening to Jesus say that in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the, those who were, who were Jewish people listening, they would go, man, this sounds a lot like manna in the wilderness. I know what Jesus is pointing to. 
Listen, we don't really believe the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. We don't believe those mercies are new every morning. If we demand to see, God, you better show me what tomorrow has. You better lay out the blueprint of your grace ahead of time. God, I want to see the next weeks of grace for me. I want to see what tomorrow's mercies are. I want to see them now. The, the manna was cool for today. Hey, the manna was cool for my lifetime. I get it, but what about tomorrow? And God says, then you don't get it. Walk by faith, not by sight. Worry and anxiety and grumbling is us trying to live out the future before it gets here. We're going ahead to tomorrow, to three weeks from now, to four months from now, to 10 years from now. We're wondering, man, what are my kids going to be like? What's my marriage going to be like? Will I find a spouse? What's going to happen? How is this illness going to work out? What, what will the diagnosis say? And it's trying to borrow mercies that God has not meant to give you yet. He's given you his grace and his mercy for today. And when you get to tomorrow, when you get to years from now, whatever trials, whatever surprises may be there, he'll give you more manna for that day. The question is this, can you trust him to provide? Can you see how God is pressing this to the extreme? He's, he's taking this to a, a place saying, do you trust me? I, I mean, I love how he says, hey, you're going to rest on the Sabbath. I'm going to make it even harder for you to show you how trustworthy I am. The Sabbath was not a punishment. It was his opportunity for God to display his, his graciousness, for them to display resting and trusting in God's promises and in his care. So we see God's promise revealed in this wilderness time. And he says in verse 4, I probably won't be able to find it. He says in verse 4 of chapter 16, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. God's saying, listen, all of this, all of this provision of raining bread down, designed to help the people learn to trust in God. He goes, I want to I test them. I want them to test me. I want them to see what this looks like, to see clearly what it is that I'm, that I'm worthy of your trust. And I love it how Jesus picks up the same manna theme when he's feeding the 5,000 in, in John chapter 6. There's this situation where the disciples come up to Jesus and they're like, it's a wilderness time right now. They're like, hey, all these people are here. It's too much for us to handle. They need food. We don't have food. It's a wilderness experience. It's too hard. It's too much. We can't do this. And, and what does Jesus do? If you know the story, he feeds them with just one kid's lunch. And then he goes on further though and he, and he starts to teach them. And he says, yeah, yeah, this bread I fed you with is amazing. And he goes, kind of like the bread that, that God gave your forefathers. Kind of like that manna. Then he goes on. Look at John 6, verse 32. It says, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, because they're going, man, this, just, this is just like how Moses gave manna. And he goes, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they're like, okay, if, if, if you've got better bread than the manna our forefathers ate, man, give us that bread. And what does Jesus say? 
Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says, I am the bread. I'm the bread of life. I'm I'm not only the one who rescues you, but I'm your provision. I'm your provider. I'm not the one who just gives to you. I am your provision. And when when you're in a wilderness experience and and, and you're you're not sure what my hand's going to bring, you can trust my heart because I am the bread of life. I am everything you need. I mean, Jesus, I'm the bread of life. He he says, I'm the light of the world. If you can't see your next step, it's okay. I'm going to give you enough light for that next step. I may not give you light to show you right to the very end, but I'm the light of the world. Look to me. He says, I'm the gate. That means, that means, Jesus, you come through me to get to the Father. That, that church is not the gate. People are not the gate. Your, your better circumstances is not the gate to the grace of God. It's through Jesus Christ. You seek out him. Daily, go after him. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'll lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. And it's only a shadow because of my death and resurrection. That it's not death anymore that's going to take you out. It's just a shadow of that. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection of the life. I'm the true vine. There's imitators out there that you think, man, if I just attach to this vine, maybe I'll get stuff there. And Jesus, no, I'm your vine. Come to me daily. I'm the bread. I'm the manna. Listen, we don't have frosted flakes on the ground appearing every morning. We've got something better than manna. We have Jesus. And we can come to him. He can draw near to us. I mean, Jesus says, hey, listen, that bread that your forefathers got, that wasn't from Moses, that was from the Father. And listen, listen, I'm better than that manna. I'm a bread that lasts forever. One that you can keep for all eternity. One that doesn't burn off when the noonday sun comes up. I'm the manna from heaven. He's saying, seek me. Look for me in the word every day. As we close, let me ask you this. Do do you believe that Jesus can provide? In In the wilderness you're in right now and you're looking for the way out, do you believe that Jesus is your hope? I mean, do you believe that when you wake up tomorrow, there'll be new mercies from Jesus? Do you believe that for the next 40 years of wandering through wildernesses that that there will be manna from heaven each morning in the form of Jesus Christ, the the one who forgives your sins, the one who sends his spirit, the one who, who heals our brokenness, the one who promises us eternal life both now and forever? I mean, do you trust? Do you trust that God will provide? That he's already provided in Christ. If you do trust that, listen, there's an action to this trust. In fact, there's a story about Abraham Lincoln that he was, he was visiting a, um, a slave auction. There was a young girl, and, and his heart went out to her, so he bid for her, and he won her. And after purchasing, purchasing this, this young girl, Lincoln grabbed this little girl, and, and, and he says, hey, you're free now. She goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. Does being free mean I can say whatever I want? And Lincoln says, yeah, you can say whatever you want. Does does, does being free mean I can be whatever I want? And he goes, yeah, it means you can be whatever you want. Does being free mean I can go wherever I want to go? And he says, yes, you can go wherever you want to go. And tears streaming down this little girl's face, she looks up at Lincoln and says, then I'll go with you. 
Listen, the reason ultimately that we grumble is that we want Jesus to save us, to redeem us, but we don't want to follow him. That we don't recognize this, this amazing grace he poured out to redeem us, to buy us. And then as he leads us into the wilderness, we say, no, 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 I'm not going there, though. I'm not following you there. And I, I think the reason that Christians can be so disappointed or frustrated or bored is because we, we, we believe more in, trust more in, want more the gifts from God than the glory of God. Jesus says, follow me and deny yourself. Follow me and die. We, we die to ourselves. We, we deny our wants, our desires. Why? Because we know that the wilderness with Jesus is so much better than these other things. And that following Christ is about surrendering our control, trusting his provision, his sanctifying. Trusting he is satisfying. Daily with him. Let me pray. Lord God, I, uh, I thank you that you are trustworthy, that you give us manna every day. You give us your word, that your mercies are new, your grace is new, your spirit is with us, your presence is with us. And I, I thank you that, that you remind us that we, we don't get our satisfaction from the, the things of this world. We don't, we don't reach for those things, but, but that in you, in you is our satisfaction, that you can be trusted every day. Thank you that your steadfast love never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end. They're, they're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, that you're our portion. So we hope in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.